everybody. Welcome to episode 104 of the 2QB Experience. And on this episode of the 2QB XP, I'm joined by Todd Burrows, uh, at Todd from PA on Twitter, of the Run to Daylight podcast, Fanball, and Football Diehards. Uh, Todd, how you doing, man? It's good to have you back on. Good. Todd with one D from PA. Yeah, very important distinction to make. <laughs> I always worry about that when I have to, like... I, when I tell people about the website or our Twitter handle, I have to tell them you have to spell it all out. It's T-W-O-Q-B-S, two QBs. So, yeah, very <laughs> crucial that you got that single D in there for Todd. You know, I forget myself sometimes to give my handle that way. So uh, I, I, it's something I have fun with. Uh, one time someone came up to me and said, so how did uh, how did that happen? I go, my mom named me with one D. <laughs> and they looked at me and said, but that's like Bill with one L. <laughs> I mean, maybe that makes some sense, too. There's probably a Bill out there with only one L, right? Poor ba- poor bastard. <laughs> My favorite line, though, is uh, people say, what's up with that? And I said, I was robbed of a D at birth. It was very traumatic. <laughs> I, the one I always get is, is, I tell them my name is Greg, and they say with, with one G or two, and I say two, one at the front and one at the beginning, because everyone you know takes that first G for granted, and then they want to know how many Gs are at the end, and they ask they ask the wrong version of the question, right? So I, I feel a little bit of your pain here, Todd. But Yeah, you would uh, you would make a good English teacher with that one. <laughs> there you go. Well, um, Todd, the last time you were on the show, it was in the preseason. We talked a lot about best ball, and I'm curious, how's your best ball season going so far? Uh, you know, it started out rough and, uh, you know, actually it started okay. And then I dipped down to about negative 25%, but I've been on the rise ever since, uh, fan ball, uh, the old MFL 10 standard is what I spend most of my time studying and, uh, going into tonight, I'm up about 45% ROI. So if I could finish the year at plus 45 after being plus 90 last year, uh, I would feel really good. You know, I, I don't know that everyone worries about stuff like this, but I kind of cringe when people are calling me an expert and I've had one good year. <laughs> I'll feel a little bit better about it if I can put up. You know, I, I, I think about stuff like that. You know, I enjoy podcasting. I enjoy the studying, but... I don't like being pretentious. No, me neither. And that's something I, I try to take pride in on this show is admitting that I don't know everything and treating it more as, like you say, a study. We are students of the game. We're just trying to learn to play better. We're going to make mistakes. That's the nature of a game with variance in it. So I'm curious, when you are evaluating your performance, what sort of data points are you looking for as the season plays out? We're, we're pretty deep into it at this point, so we have a good idea of you know trends based upon ADP, but uh, I'm curious, uh, what are you looking at week to week to kind of evaluate your own performance? Well, I've been real busy this year. I had um, a new job. My business kind of fell apart uh, this time last year, and my wife was away for three months, so I did the whole single dad deal for three months um, in the middle of the whole summer, basically. So it was a very interesting season, and I haven't had a lot of time to, to do evaluation, per se, other than to just look at my ROI. So, um, But the, the things that are really sticking out to me so far this year is I compare – a couple things. One is how good were my calls, right? Yeah. And, and because, you know, as a so-called expert, I'm giving out my opinion and I want to be right more than wrong. And then I hope that the results also uh, kind of play to that. So, uh, you know, I also evaluate based on some of the things I think I've learned that'll give me an edge on the field and whether those advantages are still you know, holding it, it, was it something that I just noticed for a year? Or is it a longer term thing? Um, one of the things I've laid my hat on is spike week quarterbacks because QB scoring is so flat. I believe in trying to get guys who can hit that high end because that's the way to really separate uh, at the field. And uh, Pat Mahomes is on pace to. He, he was a guy that I actually said. I think he had, this guy has an outside shot of being the number one QB in football. And 
I, I think I underestimated. It looks like he could be the MVP of the whole league. Yeah, he's been the perfect best ball QB because, like you said, those spike weeks count for so much more when all the QBs are scoring. I think the average quarterback score this season is higher than it's ever been in fantasy. So when you have those guys who actually deliver those you know, upper echelon top five weeks, even if they're giving you clunkers every once in a while, it doesn't matter because whoever your backup QB is going to pick up the slack for the most part. That's the theory. The theory is because it's so flat, if you get a guy who scores nine points one week and 30 the next, you bank the 30 and you get a nice advantage and your backup hopefully gives you 18 on the, uh, on the slow week. And that's a way to creep ahead and take advantage of the fact that QB scoring is, uh, is so, uh, flat. The, the other uh, couple – I really like studying uh, winning percentages. I think there's a lot you can learn about them. And the last couple years, there was this theory out there where uh, two years ago it was, you know, if you could pair David Johnson and Lev Bell or David Johnson and Zeke Elliott, and at times you could because Elliott was a rookie, David Johnson was a late first-round pick, and Bell was coming off a suspension. If you paired those two guys, you could get what I call a supercharge effect to where your winning percentage just really blows up. Last year, it happened again with Todd Gurley being a late second-round pick. If you had Lev Bell and A.B., it would uh, and Nuck you could pick up on the third round with those guys. It you know so much could depend. You know that your league could basically be over after the second round if someone paired uh, Lev Bell with Gurley last year. Um, yeah, I mean I, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but this year you're, we're not seeing that because the players who have done the best weren't at the same draft level. And what I mean by that is, again, Gurley was a late second-round pick. Bell was an early first-round pick. If, if you were on both of those guys, you could get them regularly together. Well, this year, we're not seeing that. Um, the closest is uh, Christian McCaffrey is the best second-round pick, and that put you in range to get one of uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, or Barkley, and if you know, but you're not seeing that supercharge. So right now, uh, you know, there's nobody really above like 22% win percentage. And uh, last year, Gurley famously broke 30. Yeah, we are living in a world where we drafted much better in 2018 than we did in 2017 as a community, right? And you weren't able to stack up those really you know, high winning percentage players on the same rosters the same way you could have. Like you bring up McCaffrey and even towards the end of draft season, he was sliding up from that middle second to uh, the early second or even the late first in some cases. So yeah, as as we all get a little smarter and start to chase, you know, the players who were, you know, projected to be good, it gets more and more challenging. And I, I like that because then it means that you have to be better at nailing those middle round picks, those late round picks um, and kind of, With that in mind, I I think one of the things we really can take away from last year and this year is that you want to try to get your wide receiver value in the middle rounds, but which wide receivers did you find working out the best for you when you look at those uh, those winning percentages uh, as of right now? Have you have you dove into the wide receiver position much? I I haven't, but um, I can do that really quickly using Chenton Schulte's uh, really good web uh, page, ffpages.com. If you go there and you sign up, uh, there's a wealth of information. If you click on player and win rates, and then you, uh, you can also sort by position, but give me a second. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if listeners uh, are having trouble finding it based on the description, um, you can find it uh, there in the notes. Yeah. So um, first wide receiver. So James Conner has a 25% win rate, but he this I'm just going to give you overall. But he was only drafted in 2573 of 6,400 drafts about. 
Uh, Christian McCaffrey is the leader right now at 22%, which would have been fourth last year. Patrick Mahomes, 21%. James White, 21%. Uh, and then you get your first wide receiver, Adam Thielen, at 18%. Uh, you get Tarek Cohen, Kelsey, Saquon Barkley. Juju is the second wide receiver. Eric Ebron, Gurley, Ertz, Devontae Adams, who was the second-round pick, Tyreek Hill, who was the third-round pick. So what's interesting is you're not, you know, getting the right wide receiver in the second and third round is um, really been giving the best. You know, the first mid-round wide receiver is Robert Woods, and he's only got a 13% win rate. So, uh, you know, wide receivers this year are not having the big variance um, that you've seen in the past. Well, right. And the deeper you go into the draft, the more variance you're going to have with those earlier picks. So a player like Robert Woods was probably never going to have a win rate at the same level as, you know, one of the hits from the earlier rounds like Adams or Thielen. Um, Have you started prepping for your 2019 best ball drafts yet? And uh, even if you haven't, kind of what do you... What comes to mind when I bring that up? What What do you think you're going to be caring about uh, when you start to draft for next year? Well, I haven't been following week to week like last year since I'm not writing in-season articles for anyone. Also putting in a lot of uh, in-season effort into daily fantasy uh, where I've been able to kind of transition what I'm good at in best ball into a pretty good DFS uh, year, focusing a lot more on floor ceiling, similar to, you know how when you draft, you, you know, what you're looking for, hopefully, if you're smart, is a guy who, whatever his draft round, you feel that he can reasonably pay that off, which is hence his floor, but that there's like a hidden upside there. Whether he's a super talented player, a young player with room to grow, a new coach. Well, I've been able to kind of focus more this year on daily fantasy uh, on translating that from what I'm good at in best ball. And I'm having a a very good year after pretty much treading water the last couple of years in DFS. So um, I I haven't it didn't answer your question, but. Uh, because I haven't been, I, I threw out a different fun fact. No, that's good. And I, that's one of the things I love about fantasy is kind of how all these different formats can cross-pollinate on a strategy level. We can take things that we learn from best ball and apply them to DFS, take things that we learned from DFS and apply them to seasonal leagues. And, and, you know, you can draw all these different through lines between all the different formats. I think that's really cool. Um, let's dive into the week 13 recap. We're going to look back at... Oh, before you do that, can I just throw in one thing? Sure. The, the you know it's funny you were talking about because uh, it wouldn't once we went into week thirteen this point would go away. The thing that I found that you know sometimes things just resonate in my brain and marinate there, and the thing that I've really think that I was not good at when I started at best ball, and it applies to every level of fantasy is. We live in a world with too much information and you don't want to hide yourself from information out of fear of being compromised. But neither do you want information and thoughts of other people to push you into players you have a good reason not to like or off of players you have a good reason to like. And and that is if I could give anything to your listeners as far as what has made me a better in general fantasy player over the last couple of years, it's learning how to process information without being pushed around by it. Can you think of an example of that from recent weeks, maybe in DFS or maybe from back in your best ball drafts where that that's applicable to you? Uh, in best ball uh, you know, constantly. Uh, the big one this year, I'm part of Mike Beer's uh, Best Ball Command Center, and it's a tremendous ser- a service. But whenever you get in a Slack chat with a bunch of people, even really smart people, there's always going to be groupthink, right? 
you know, uh, five people like it and they convince two more who convince two more. And then everyone's talking about when they drafted this guy and two guys in particular. Uh, and, and I was really proud of myself last night uh, because I've been watching tape for two years now. And I'll never be confused with uh, some of these guys who really crunch tape like Elliot Christ. But um, when I watched running backs this year and I watched their tape, two guys really jumped out at me. And one and I'm not talking about Barkley because, I mean, you don't need a <laughs> Ph.D. in tape watching to, to know that that guy was special. He's so good. But oh, my God. But uh, Nick Chubb was my favorite. And he was, you know, he was one of three or four of the top guys. So uh, that's not much. But the second guy who really jumped out at me was uh, Justin Jackson of Northwestern, who had that big night last night. Mm -hmm. And he showed everything that I saw on tape last night. So I was really proud of that. And I'm going to circle back to the story I was telling. There are a couple guys who were on Royce. You know, the group was on Royce Freeman and Rashad Penny. And and the internal math that I used didn't work out as far as Penny, even though they had, you know, they were all so excited that they had traded up for this guy. But Chris Carson was still there. Uh, Mike Davis, it turns out, was still there. And the tape that I saw on Penny, he was very raw and he couldn't block. And you know, people can say whatever they want, but coaches won't put running backs in who can't pass protect. So I had a lot, you know, I ended up at a underweight position on him. And same thing with Royce Freeman. I just didn't see him as I, I thought he was the guy who was OK at everything, but not great at any one thing where I identified Justin Jackson as being a tough little runner who, you know, you almost never see that guy go down from the first. He has the ability to make the first guy miss, which in the NFL is really important when you're trying to get four or five yards to carry. If you can make the first guy miss, you A, get that four or five yards, and B, put yourself in a position for a big play. So those were the, the two guys that I can use as an example of People were really, really excited about Freeman and his landing spot and Penny and his landing spot. But there were other people in that backfield, in those backfields, I thought were good. So I, I resisted the urge to, to jump in the pool with everyone. Well, and you can't really blame those folks for going to those ends with those players because, like you said, we, we are prey to too much information all the time. And because of that, we have to make little shortcuts here and there. And one of the easiest shortcuts when it comes to evaluating rookies is to look at that draft capital that's spent on them and say, oh, well, NFL teams only have so many picks and only so many in the first, second, and third round. If they're going to spend those on running backs, a position that we know is you know not that valuable relative to other positions, that team must really like that player. Except in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is that, that this is one instance where you, you kind of, the shortcuts can be problematic, right? And th there's always more, there's, there are more layers to the onion. There's more gray area, you know, between the black and the white that, you know, draft capital isn't everything. It is important in some cases, but not all cases. And, and the level of importance is going to change. I got into a huge brawl over that with uh, an analyst who was part of the best ball center because that's his thing. He's like, well, I don't watch tape. I do, but it's not as important as draft capital. And, you know, again, I, I don't believe in one thing or another. It's the, these decisions are, are more calculus than they are just straight addition. There's, you know, the team, the offensive line, the uh, the draft capital, the position, what other running backs are there, the head coach. Um, you know, there's so many things that go into these decisions. And I, I like to say that they're clues, but they're not the whole puzzle. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm really glad you brought up Justin Jackson because that will transition nicely into our week 13 recap. And 
we've seen a little bit more turnover at the running back position. The running backs were relatively safe and stable for the first half of the year or so, and now we're seeing a lot of guys get hurt, uh, you know, wear and tear from the year, maybe cold weather has something to do with it. Uh, but in general, we're seeing a little bit more turnover at the position, and I'm going to assume that Spencer Ware and LeGarrette Blunt are already owned in leagues where they need to be owned, but there are some other intriguing opportunities at running back coming out of Week 13, and I'm curious who you think is the top waiver ad at the running back position, because we've got Jalen Samuels perhaps filling in for an injured James Conner. We have Justin Jackson uh, coming on for the Chargers, and it was announced today that Matt Breda isn't going to play Week 14 for the 49ers, and that means that Jeff Wilson, uh, kind of a no-name guy, is going to get a start for the Niners most likely. So are you interested in those guys? Or are you interested in someone else? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, is that like Adam Levitan's uh, dog barking? If so, he barked on uh, on Wilson, who, you know, as much as I like Justin Jackson, and, well, first of all, you know, again, it comes down to this complicated math. Yeah. We found out today that James Conner has a bruise. It was a serious bruise, but it's just a bruise. Well, players most of the time end up playing off of bruises. Now, they might not be as effective, and it might open some room for Jalen Samuels, who had a really good play last week. Um, same thing with uh, Justin Jackson. As much as I like him, Eckler is still there. So you have to wonder. I hate wondering if NFL coaches are smart enough to do what we see, because so many times we see that they don't. That once they have one guy ahead of the other, they don't adapt. I mean, look at how long it took for Aaron Jones to beat out Jamal Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Jackson, but I don't know if you have $500 worth of fab left and you've got more fab than anyone else in your league. You want to blow it on Justin Jackson because Melvin Gordon's going to be back in a week. So if I needed someone for this week, and Matt Breida was out, I think Wilson has the clearest opportunity for a big workload. And as we all know, workload and opportunity with running backs trump just about everything else. How about some of the, I guess, less intriguing players like Kenneth Dixon, Baltimore, Damian Williams, he looked okay behind Spencer Ware. Uh, Chase Edmonds had a couple TDs for the Cardinals. C.J. Anderson's a free agent, but there's talk that he's going to sign with the Chiefs. Are you interested in any of those guys or any other running backs off the wire this week? They signed Sharkandrick uh, West over C.J.A. Okay, good for uh, that. I, I, yeah, I saw that. Uh, you know, I guess they wanted someone who – that just came out in the last hour or two. Um, I guess they wanted someone familiar with the system with Sharkandrick is. Uh, none of those guys, uh, Damian Williams, I picked up in a league or two last week, uh, because I didn't think they would give Spencer Ware, um, the whole full role. But again, when you, when you draft one of these guys who's in a two thirds, one third, uh, timeshare, it's really hard to count on them for fantasy football that week. Uh, you know, maybe on DraftKings, if you're playing DFS and a guy's 3,500, and you know he's got the passing game role. But my big takeaway from that Chiefs game is uh, neither Ware or Williams is near the player that Kareem Hunt is. Uh, and so I expect them to split the role. And I don't expect either one of them to be, you know, superb fantasy assets. Uh, Ware, obviously, if you're in uh, on uh, if you're a running back on the Kansas City Chiefs, you've got a chance for a big game. But this week they play Baltimore, and uh, that that's uh, you know that that's not exactly where you want to take a two thirds, one third running back. Yeah, makes sense, and I agree with you on a lot of this. Um, all these players are going to be limited either one by the timeshare they're already in or the threat of the actual starter coming back like Connor or Melvin Gordon but I, I am intrigued by Justin Jackson because like you I, I did like him in the preseason uh, I drafted him you know very last round of a couple best balls just on the chance that Gordon got hurt this is back before uh, you know, I knew any better about him maybe getting cut and then re-signed. But um, the other thing I liked about him is that he was so instrumental in that big comeback they had against the Steelers. I think that that might matter a little bit more than uh, 
it, it would seem at first. Because uh, I think that you talked about how coaches can be stubborn, but if a player helps a coach win, I don't think that there's much better you can show on the football field. Do you know what I mean? Do you agree with that? I do. And I think that Again, you, you have to do that difficult math, and sometimes that takes waiting as the week comes on to, you know, hopefully get some uh, coach speak or beat writer reports. You know, if you asked me today, I would say right now I wouldn't be shocked if it was a 55-45 Jackson split this week, but anything from 70-30 either way wouldn't surprise me. And there's an outside chance that Gordon plays this week. So uh, it's a very, very complicated decision to make when you're trying to, you know, spend your waiver wire money this early in the week. Yeah, definitely. Um, Big picture, what stood out to you in week 13, Todd? Anything else kind of really leap out at you as you watch the games? What uh, what jumped out at me is uh, uh, once again just how good Patrick Mahomes is. Um, I mean, we just have never seen a guy who has this kind of talent level. You know, he, he you know in the past, mobile quarterback normally meant not accurate, or you know, mobile with a big arm but not accurate, or mobile accurate but not having a big arm. This is the first guy we've ever seen who is almost like combining Dante Culpepper and Brett Favre. (laughs) You know, I mean, he is just sick in what he's able to do and how he's able to flick a ball and how accurate he is. Uh, I mean, he made a couple bad passes this week and it was it it stood out because he just doesn't. So, um, you know, those... uh, that that was the biggest thing that stood out to me is just you know sincerely legitimate this guy is yeah he's awesome the stuff he does with his arm angle too is incredible like he's whipping it and flicking it from all sorts of crazy platforms and for the most part it works i don't know how he does it he's a wizard out there i said that he was my favorite you know play of the year him and kenny galladay were my favorite two plays you know the guys who you could get in the uh, 12th, 13th round who I thought could be, you know, third, fourth round talent by the end of the year. But I mean, you know, the, 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 the thought process at the time was, you know, I think Mahomes is going to have some four interceptions games. And I think that he is going to have some four, four TD games. And it's turned out that he's given us the TDs without you know, for a young quarterback, he's made uh, very, very few turnovers this year, which is, is even scarier if you think about it. Yeah, it's it really is incredible what they've been doing there in Kansas City. And for the season as a whole, I'm with you. Like, I, I expected more bad games or mistake-prone games from him, and I expected him to be, you know... Uh, a boom bust guy. And so that, you know, takes us right to our awards for week 13. And I'm curious who your boom of the week was Uh, just for week 13, which quarterback outperformed your expectations the most, Todd? I just looked up Mahomes, 39 touchdowns, 10 interceptions so far. That's insanity. That's a season long total. That would be impressive, let alone, you know, week 13. Yeah. I mean, and, and most, you know, that's Aaron Rodgers like, uh, in, in the ratio, but, uh, Josh Allen was the guy who really surprised me. Uh, I, we all underestimated this guy on a few levels. The biggest one is his ability to run. You asked me earlier about my takeaways for the year. I'm going to be spending a lot more time looking at running uh quarterback's ability to run and give you a floor, uh, and Josh Allen, he hasn't been a great quarterback per se, but he's been a great fantasy asset because he can run the ball so well. He's He was my boom of the week. Yep, QB2, uh, over 28 fantasy points. Yeah, he, he's been good for back-to-back games. I'm curious to see if he can keep that going. Uh, more on that later. Uh, he, he would be my choice as well. If I had to give an honorable mention, it would be to Nick Mullins, who went on the road in Seattle 
And pending Monday Night Football, finishes the QB7 with uh, 22.5 about fantasy points. So I I really was not expecting that from him because the Seattle defense has been fairly good against quarterbacks. And I think some of that is a mirage to some extent. But against a young QB like Mullins, an inexperienced guy like that, I really thought they'd be able to shut him down. And, you know, part of it was game script too, like the Niners had to throw to keep up. But Mullins impressed me. I wasn't expecting him to put up that level of production uh, in Week 13. He, he's got an interesting look, too. He, he looks like a guy, like you see the old photos of the football players of the 50s and 60s, you know, like their face was cut out of granite. He's kind of got that look like an old-time quarterback, and I agree with you that it was impressive. I also agree that it, uh, part of it was because when teams get up three, four touchdowns, it, it, it it's just human nature it seems not to play as hard yep um and and, and that th- you see quarterbacks put up big scores but i like mullins he he's shown you know and he's got a he's got he's on DraftKings this week i already looked he's only 4600 dollars, and he's got a home matchup i forget who he's got the home matchup against. denver i think is who they're playing yeah and they just lost chris harris i mean 4600 dollars at home, um, I, I might, you know, I might be looking at him in some serious DFS action this week. Well, and the other thing you get when you take Nick Mullins in your DFS lineups is you get Kyle Shanahan, and this is, I mean, we've been really laying it on thick for Patrick Mahomes, but a lot of why he's so great is the scheme and that coaching staff around him putting him in a, a place to succeed, and that's what we're seeing Shanahan do with Mullins and. I think that's something that for me has really kind of come to the forefront this season is how much that infrastructure matters when we're evaluating players for fantasy. Has that come into your uh, evaluation or analysis much? Big time. I mean, you look at, you know, the dinosaurs, the old time thinkers who've been replaced over the last two years, uh, Jeff Fisher and John Fox, who, you know, it's easy to crap on them. But, you know, the reason they hung on so long is because they won football games. And I never want to take away that, you know, from someone. The times might change. But, you know, I am I am literally old enough to remember when Jeff Fisher was considered one of the best coaches in the league. And so was John Fox. But the world had passed them by. And they're replaced with these really super young offensive minds and I, I think you have to take into consideration all the more guys like Shanahan. And, you know, that's one of those hidden upsides that I talked about. You know, you know, like I was drafting a lot of Matt Breida this year. Why? Yeah, he was behind Jarek McKinnon, who I thought was going way too early. I got bailed out because he got hurt early. But. You know, Matt Breida, to me, was a guy who I thought could easily pay off a 15th round uh, draft spot without an injury. And then if you get an injury, he can crush value for you. Uh, So, you know, that's I think definitely uh, that's one of those. You know, if you're going to bet on someone, it does. It's not a bad uh, policy to bet on uh, a, a guy who's got a really good offensive scheme. Who was someone you bet on in week 13 that burned you? Who's the quarterback who underperformed your expectations the most and was your bust of the week? Uh, We were just talking about him, his coach, but Jared Goff. I started the week wanting to use him in cash. Um, I ended the week with about a 17% uh, ownership on him in GPPs. I went with Jameis Winston in cash and uh, Mr. Goff. Uh, scoring 10 points against the bad Detroit secondary who had been better against the run. Um, and I watched a lot of that game. He just had a bad game. He was not accurate. He looked like he was forcing the ball too, which is always, he looked almost like Cam Newton throw. You know, Cam looks like since his, especially since his shoulder surgery, like he's got to put extra effort on his arm yep. to get the, the ball there. Goff looked like that at times to me. The other day, so um, it'll be inter- and and the other thing I've noticed he if you look at his home road splits this year he he has done much better at home, but no matter how you cut it he was a bust this week. 
Yeah, and actually, I have I usually write down a list of various options to throw out for this because I never want to pick the same person as the guest on the show. And one theme of all four guys on my list is they were all on the road. And this is something that we talked about what stood out to us in week 13. One thing that's kind of stood out to me over the course of the season is how often I find myself just listing road quarterbacks in this Bust of the Week section. Um, so in addition to Goff, I also have Drew Brees listed. We have to go back to Thursday of last week to... Uh, you know, remember his terrible performance, QB 29, with uh, under eight fantasy points against Dallas. Now, the Dallas defense is good, but it's Drew Brees, right? Drew Brees indoors. I kind of figured he'd still be, you know, startable, let alone, you know, good. Uh, but he was really bad. And then the other two were Kirk Cousins on the road at New England and Andrew Road, Andrew Luck on the road at Jacksonville. And all four of those guys, Brees, Cousins, Goff, Luck, were all pretty disappointing. If I had to pick one, I would pick Drew Brees just because... He seems matchup proof to me for the most part. Um, I know that when he goes on the road in outdoor stadiums, sometimes we can see that be a problem. I didn't think that would be an issue with Dallas, but um, for whatever reason it was, they, they really showed up to play in that game. So he's my bust of the week. So him and Goff are, are picks there. Um, you have anything to add on Breeze or Cousins or Luck uh, now that I brought them up? I think uh, I think we got something on Breeze a little bit later. I'll save it for that, but... Uh, he certainly was disappointing and uh, an equally good choice to Goff. Let's get into the Week 14 preview, and I'll kind of pivot off of the Andrew Luck as a potential bust here. Uh, he was the QB 22, under 10 fantasy points in standard scoring. And last week I actually had a bold prediction on the show where I was half right. I said that the Jags would upset the Colts, you know, based upon the shakeup they had kind of done uh, with Bortles and with their coaching staff, maybe lighting a fire under the team. We saw that. In week 13, I also said that Cody Kessler would be a top top 15 quarterback. So, oops, uh, we didn't get there on that part of the bold prediction, but that's why it's bold. Um, but I'm curious, kind of looking ahead, do you think Jacksonville can stay focused and stay motivated? And what should we expect from them as a defense against our quarterbacks in fantasy? Well, the first thing is they were never as bad as we kind of thought. They had one or two really bad weeks, but again... When your quarterback is turning the ball over constantly and giving the other team uh, half fields or quarter fields, you know, it, you can look worse than you are. And there were, I, I wish I could remember some of the smart people I read. Uh, one was J.M. to win. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of his one week season. And, you know, J.M. talked about how a lot of the key metrics, the defense was still good. And again, it's that fantasy fishbowl, right, where we get into this groupthink and, oh, the Jags are terrible. Well, if you drafted them in the 10th round, like I told you you shouldn't, uh, yeah, they're, they're a disaster. Uh, overall, as a defense, they weren't that bad, and now they're starting to play better. Uh, the only question I have as it relates to their quality going forward is they play for a hard-nosed coach and they're eliminated. And, and, and it's typically the really hard-nosed coaches who, once the season's over, who loses players. It hasn't happened yet, but that's the only caveat I'll put in there. Uh, but, um, you know, there's too much talent on that defense for them not to be good if they're playing hard. Yeah, and this week they're going to go up against the Titans and Marcus Mariota and talk about, you know, an up and down season. He's definitely had that. Um, but before we get to him as a potential clipboard holder this week, uh, who is your streamer of the week at quarterback? We're looking for a low end QB2 or QB3 type who owners wouldn't always start, but this week you might give it a shot based upon the matchup. Well, the number one guy we already talked about, Mullins, um, home game, Denver. Uh, they, you know, they lost a kid to, to leave at the beginning of the year. They've been easier to throw on in general. And now it looks, I, I'm pretty sure Chris Harris is out for the year. I didn't see the blurb saying he was, but uh, I heard that he was, uh, you know, if you're looking for that third level guy, who's in a good spot, that's one guy. And the other guy that I think is in a very good spot is Lamar Jackson, uh, he's going into Kansas City, which is tough. The question is, are they going to let him run the ball 15, 20 times, or are they just going to have him pass? Uh, I didn't look at his run-pass ratio from yesterday. Uh, but, uh, I mean, he scored 17 points yesterday. That I did see. 
and he did that while missing part of the game. So I think, uh, you know, some people might feel that he's not startable. Others would. But I think uh, Mullins, number one, and Lamar, number two, as far as uh, that question. Yeah, Jackson had 21 pass attempts and 17 rushes. He turned those 17 carries into 75 yards and a score on the ground. That that touchdown run was pretty impressive. Uh, and I don't know, I think that rushing floor makes him probably an every-week starter in two quarterback formats. Now, when you start talking about one QB leagues and you're weighing him against bigger-name guys, I think that's tougher. Now, you mentioned that he missed part of that game and he had to leave for concussion symptoms. Do you see that as potentially being a problem or an extra risk with Lamar Jackson going down the stretch here that based upon how much he's running, that maybe he's more prone to injury? Does that worry you if you're starting him in a seasonal league? Yes, it does. But it's one of many factors. Uh, He also has 30, 35 point upside. If you get that week where he gets two rushing touchdowns, uh, you know, gets let's say he gets 100 yards and two rushing TDs. You know, you're at 22 points. If he only throws for 200 and uh, and one more touchdown, you're at like 35 points. So he's got a great floor. He's got a great ceiling, but he is more risky, both from an injury perspective. And uh, he's not a very good quarterback. So if they don't let him run, uh, it all goes out the window. So he is a. He's the type of player, again, I I talk a lot about balancing risk. So when I do daily fantasy or best ball, I blend risk risk in. I call it like a mixed drink, right? If you have too much alcohol, the drink is terrible. If you don't have enough alcohol, the drink is terrible. Risk is like alcohol in, in your mixed drink. So if I've got a team that is filled with risk, and I've got two quarterback, you know, boom, a bunch of boom bust guys, and I've got two quarterbacks about equal. I'll go with the more stable quarterback. If I've got a really solid team with a lot of floor, where I wish I had a bit more ceiling, then I would lean towards the uh, Lamar Jackson guy. So when you look at your team and who to start and and risk, don't just consider that player, but consider the makeup of your whole team. And who you're playing, are you going to be an underdog against that team? Do you need to take a little bit more risk? Or are you a, a some, is it a team you should beat? Well, then why take the risk? So keep all those factors in mind when you're deciding who to play. I love that you brought that up. And it's something that I've thought a lot about myself. And one thing that I've found has worked for me, and I don't know if this is going to work for everybody, but I found that if in doubt, lean into the risk a little bit more often because in football there is so much variance and every player is at risk of getting hurt on any any given play so that basement is built into every player already so with that in mind you might feel like you're playing it safe and you're making all these uh you know these decisions that are minimizing your risk but because the game is inherently risky you're actually limiting your overall ceiling too much uh, by you know not being risky enough, and so I, I love the way you describe that um, in terms of making sure you have the right amount of risk. And, and I think that when in doubt, you should probably take more risk when it comes to fantasy. One because I, I think it you know just generally increases your upside, but two because it's more fun. Well, and we talked about the coaches replacing the dinosaurs. One of the things that made the dinosaurs dinosaurs was in the old days all the coaches were pretty risk averse, right? You might get one trick play a game and that was considered, you know, wow, he, you know, or, or Bill Parcells went for it on fourth down twice. What a, what a risky coach, you know, nowadays, all almost these coaches that are really good, take risks with formations, with, with very complicated uh, ways of scheming guys open um, it's a different game. So in the same way with fantasy, you, you have to have some risk, you know, or you're, you're like playing prevent defense and you, and, and you know what they always say about prevent defense, the Prevention only thing. Winning. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, my streamer of the week, I'm going to go to the other side of that Nick Mullins matchup. Although just to kind of touch on Mullins real quick, that is a nice matchup against Denver. Now that Chris Harris is out and, uh, 
the Denver Broncos have allowed 75%, you know, three quarters of the quarterbacks they faced to finish top 20 against them, which is just what we're looking for uh, in a two QB streamer type. Now on the other side of the matchup, Case Keenum playing on the road at San Francisco uh, is also a pretty nice matchup. The Niners have been pretty forgiving to QBs. They allow over 20 points per game, uh, 20.13 to be specific. Uh, That's sixth most in the league and half the quarterbacks to face them this year have finished top 10, 83% have finished top 20. So uh, it's a really safe matchup against the Niners. And I think that Case Keenum, uh, if he's, you know, your QB three, you might want to sneak him in there over uh, some of the you know the riskier plays in terms of matchup who uh, uh, with the quarterbacks who have a higher profile. Um, what do you think about Keenum? Because he's been pretty hard to predict, and that offense is maybe more dinosaur than it is uh, modern, if you ask me. Um, what, what's your take on Keenum and the Broncos? Exactly. So, uh, all right, let's go through the math. Keenum is very inconsistent. Mullen is very inconsistent. Mullen is home. Keenum is away. That's a big strike. We've already established that. Two, Denver is still a better team overall. And if they're ahead, how have they been successful in getting back a few wins lately? It's through Philip Lindsay. It's not through Case Keenum. Um, They also have three three backs. They have Freeman and they have Booker. Uh, So my feeling is if they do get ahead in that game, they're going to put Keenum under wraps so he doesn't lose the game for them. Um, where I find it harder to find a way where Mullen isn't behind. But if even if they're ahead, I don't see Shanahan taking his foot off the pedal. So I don't think Keenum is a bad play. Uh, but in comparing the two, I still prefer Mullen. Yeah, and that's fair. And I'm, I'm kind of throwing Keenum more out as a, a floor type play, uh, a less risky guy based upon the matchup. But but you're right. He's on the road. I've already talked about how that's been uh, a bit of a bugaboo for me to this point in the season. So maybe I've got blinders on uh, just because of the matchup. And that, that can be dangerous. Well, that's why we talk things through. I mean, that that's that's the beauty of it. Yes, sir. And uh, I want to throw out a few other streaming options at you. And you tell me which one of these three you like the most. Uh, the okay. first is Eli Manning on the road at Washington. Uh, Josh Allen, the aforementioned, you know, rushing guru, Josh Allen, uh, at home against the Jets and Josh Rosen at home against Detroit. And I'm just curious, all three of these guys are pretty risky, but I think that there is potential for any one of them to, to perform well this week based upon the matchups they're in. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. Um, you know, I've been using this thing, uh, that fantasy pros has it's, uh, I want to check this because I want to see where the Jets are at QB scoring. All right, so they're they're right in the middle. The 16th. Jets uh, have given up 18.9 points per week uh, against uh, quarterbacks. So Josh Allen was leaning my number one, and then you look at Washington. They allow a little bit more. They're they're a li- they're 18.5. Uh, I, I think both Eli and um, the aforementioned uh, Josh Allen are uh, in play. I think Josh Allen, again, gives you a safer floor with his running ability. Uh, but I think Eli is a, a, a definitely a reasonable streamer because they're playing better. Although the best QB on that team right now might be OBJ. <laughs> yeah, and... The other thing that worries me about Eli is the same concern that you shared about Case Keenum, which is that if they do perform well in that game, and Washington hasn't been great ever since they lost Alex Smith, even when they had Alex Smith, they weren't playing super well, they're pretty banged up, is that if if the Giants do well, that could just mean it's a ton of Saquon Barkley and not a whole lot of passing. Uh, So I think that there's a little bit of risk with Eli not having to do quite as much as someone uh, like Josh Allen, who even if he isn't passing a lot, is going to get you that floor with his legs. Or Josh Rosen, who, again, like isn't super exciting, but that Detroit team is so bad that you could see him putting up decent numbers there. I think Rosen is the lowest man on that totem pole, if Agreed. only because he's been so bad, like just at a base level, at a talent level. I don't he think he just he's... doesn't look. Yeah. Uh, I liked him coming out, but based on what I'm seeing out of him, and the situation he's in, uh, I, I'm, if I if I had drafted him this year, I would be concerned. 
Yeah, I, they just don't have an offensive line in front of him. And it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. If you can't block for that QB, that, that QB is in trouble, especially if it's a young guy like Rosen. So I, I think I would have Manning at the top of that list, even though he's on the road. But the Washington matchup has been a little softer than the Jets or Detroit. Uh, I think... In general, Eli is a little bit safer than those guys just because we've seen him do it and because, like you said, they've been playing a little bit better. Now, with that said, uh, while Washington has allowed a pretty good ceiling, uh, about 46% of quarterbacks have finished top 10 against them, their floor is pretty low too. Only 55% have finished top 20. So when quarterbacks bust against Washington, they bust in a big way. Um, Speaking of busts, Todd, who is your clipboard holder of the week? This is the QB who you would normally start but you're going to avoid in week 13. Or 14, excuse me. I wrote down Carson Wentz uh, versus Dallas as Dallas D is is no joke and they're playing, you know, really well. Uh, And you add to that the fact that uh, I believe Philly's on the road and that Dallas plays at such a slow pace. Um, I want to look right back to that fantasy pros thing and see where Dallas's D is. I have them at 24th most points per game allowed to QBs. Yeah, so, okay, so uh, that's not too good. No. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and you add the fact that Wentz hasn't been the same since uh, coming back this year. He's been up and down a bit. Uh, that that That's a game that, uh, yeah, they've given up 17.5 points per game, the Cowboys. So uh, I... I uh, Wentz is the guy who I would normally start that I would think twice about this week. So right behind Dallas in my numbers, uh, two other quarterbacks are in slightly tougher matchups. One is Andrew Luck on the road at Houston. They allow, um, by what I have, is 15.85 points per game, which is 26th in the NFL. And the other is Russell Wilson at home against the Minnesota Vikings, who allow 15.83 points per game, 27th. So in terms of points per Points per game allowed to QBs. Houston and Minnesota are neck and neck with each other. Which one of those guys would you be more worried about this week, Luck or Wilson? Wilson, because um, we know Luck's going to throw the ball. Although Wilson's getting hot, you know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Every year, second half of the year, he starts getting hot. Uh, they're on a roll, but uh, but still, I, I mean, if if I had both on my team, I'd probably start Luck over Wilson this week. Yeah, I think I would lean Wilson if only for that rushing production that we've been talking so much about on this episode. But my real clipboard holder of the week is going to be in an even worse matchup than any of the guys we've talked about. That's Jared Goff going on the road at Chicago. The Bears have only allowed 14.63 points per game. That's second worst in the NFL. Uh, only half the QBs they faced have any, even finished top 20. Uh, the average weekly finish against the Bears is QB 18.4, which also is second worst in the league. So that Bears defense is really good. Uh, I This past week notwithstanding, uh, I think that they are a really good bet to perhaps hold that Rams offense uh, in check to some extent. Are you worried about Goff more than any of these other guys we've talked about? Uh, now that you put it that way, yeah. I would start Wentz over Goff. Uh, probably. Uh, I mean, it's close. Um, this could be a preview of the NFC Championship game, too. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of, of looking ahead uh, to the NFC Championship, just what else are you looking forward to on this upcoming slate? Like, there are a lot of interesting games. I think Week 13 was kind of a dud. I'm hoping that Week 14 can turn us around and give us a little bit more more scoring, more excitement for our fantasy teams. What do you think? Uh, well, the game that I'm really excited to see, just from a fan perspective, is KC versus the Rams. I'm always interested when the immovable object meets the unrelenting force to see who's going to win. And I think I I remember a game a couple years ago where uh, the Titans were awful when Mariota was a rookie and they went into the Saints and everyone was playing the Saints D and I stacked up the the Titans offense. And, you know, the you know, it just turned out that the the worst defense was worse than the worst quarterback. Um, So I, I love matchups like this where. 
you know, sometimes you can get people overexcited about, you know, like maybe fading Patrick Mahomes completely because he's playing Baltimore. Well, if I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be five to seven percent owned in GPPs, I'm going to be playing uh, a 20 percent Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so that's a game that I'm uh, I'm really looking for. Um, I also uh, I also you mentioned the Viking Seahawks game. Uh, Pete Carroll isn't a favorite in the fantasy community because of how he lies and is always so over positive about his players and just tells you, you know, a story, uh, you know, and, and people really hate that he's killed uh, Russ's fantasy value. Russ isn't running this year. They brought in Brian Schottenheimer, who's the opposite of those, you know, coaches that we've talked about. But Pete Carroll has this team at seven and five, uh, and they're favorites this week. I mean, this is a team where I saw experts in the preseason saying that they could be the worst team in the league. So, um, a, a lot, I just wanted to shout out Pete Carroll for doing such a good job with this team. Yeah. And while it hasn't really been a great boon to fantasy folks, uh, it is kind of cool that they're winning in a different way. I think that's something that, we are losing to some extent with the way that modern offense is changing in the NFL is we're seeing a lot of these offenses look the same. You know, they steal plays from one another. So when a team like the Seahawks does go a little run heavier and they're successful doing that to some extent, that's, that's at least interesting to me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if it's necessarily optimal, but it's working for them. And I, I think that we can't begrudge, begrudge them for that. You know what I mean? Well, going into the season, we knew that all of the Legion of boom was gone. So, you know, it's not unreasonable to say, you know, let's run the ball. And Russ is, you know, if, you know, Russ is this hit boomer bust kind of quarterback. He, you know, he's not a true pocket passer, but he has this ability to just make these big plays. You know, it, it, they actually came up with a system that plays to their talent. And that isn't old-fashioned coaching. That's optimal coaching. Yeah, great point. You got to make the best with what you have, and they've definitely done that there. It's it's been impressive to watch. Uh, one of the games I'm really looking forward to is just the Green Bay game. I want to see kind of how that team reacts to the firing of Mike McCarthy. I talked earlier about how I expected some amount of bounce back from the Jaguars when they fired their, I think their offensive coordinator, and when they bench Blake Bortles I want to see how the Packers react to the firing of Mike McCarthy and the installation of Joe Philbin as coach do you have any predictions there because the Packers season is effectively over do you think we're going to see them play hard down the stretch uh it's a tough question I'm sorry (laughs) I I would lean yes but um I'll talk more about it I know you wanted to get a bold prediction I want to talk about the Packers and my bold prediction okay so let's do it what's your bold prediction well, originally, my you know, you hear Mike McCarthy gets fired, and you think it's free Aaron Jones time, uh, and he's going to be really popular. But then I remembered that Joe Philpin took over, and we talk about <laughs> the, these dinosaurs who just don't get it, and you know how Joe Philbin still has a job in the league after what he showed in Miami is beyond me. Um, I know McCarthy and him are close, so I wanted to make a prediction. My first prediction was to say that Aaron Jones was going to be the number one scoring running back on the slate, but then I remembered that uh, Joe Philbin was there. Um, so, uh, But I'm going to change it, and I, I'm going to stay true to my brand, and if Melvin Gordon is out, I'm going to say Justin Jackson is a top five running back this week against the very bad Bengal run D. I love it. Yeah, and I'm going to steer into another uh, very favorable matchup with my bold prediction. I'm going to say that Drew Brees bounces back in a big way after that clunker in Dallas and reasserts his MVP case by setting a new record for passing yards in a single game against the Buccaneers because that Tampa Bay defense is pretty bad, and I, I think that Breeze has something to prove not only you know for his MVP case, but also just for that team in general. They need to get back on track and and kind of get a little swagger when they do it. You know what I mean? It, it's going to be an interesting game. Breeze is on the road, but it's warmer. Uh, the Bucks were bad, but they weren't that bad this week. So, um, 
you know, it's uh, it, it's certainly a reasonable uh, – I mean, it's a very bold call. <laughs> and um, I hope you're wrong because uh, I need a lot of points out of Mark Ingram this week. There you go. And that's probably the biggest case against my silly bold prediction is that if they're really winning that much – uh, they're probably going to be running the ball a ton with Ingram and Kamara, not just passing. So my my hope here is that we get a giant shootout between Breeze and Winston slash Fitzpatrick. And I, it's weird that I have to qualify it with both quarterback names, but that's that's the NFL that we live in. The Buccaneers change their QB, you know, once every two or three weeks. Yeah, um, you know, the dread pirate Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what we can name the episode. Well, we can't we can't name it after that. The guy ain't even playing, but uh, it's a good line. Todd, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, is there anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap it up? No, I appreciate everyone who listens. I'm not doing a lot of podcasts myself uh, during the season, uh, but everyone, um, I'm always honored to come on to QB Pod, talk with Greg, and uh, I wish all of you. Uh, Happy holidays, and I hope that your uh, fantasy dreams all come true. There you go. Listeners, you can follow Todd at Todd from PA on Twitter. Todd with only one D. Uh, if you have questions for the show or just want to provide feedback uh, about what's going on at 2QBs, you can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, or you can send us an email, 2QBs at gmail.com, spelled the same way. Please rate and review the podcast. Uh, subscribe if you haven't already. That really helps me out. And otherwise, good luck in week 14. We'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.